Welcome everyone to Fast Talk, your source for the science of cycling performance. I'm your host, Chris Case. Today, we actually take a step away from the science and talk race tactics. When we'll race again? No one really knows. So we thought it would be a great time to help our listeners at least daydream about racing with this episode. Specifically, we're discussing how to be aggressive, when to be aggressive in races. And we're doing it with none other than the current national road champion, Ruth Winder, who we caught up with many months ago. Despite the halted season, we decided now was the time to release this episode. And if you didn't catch Ruth's victory at nationals last year, give it a watch. It's a classic nail-biting effort that resulted in a career-defining moment. About midway through this episode, you'll also hear Ruth describe in her own words how the race played out and the mentality she used to break away and stay away from a star-studded field to claim her first Stars and Stripes jersey as an elite racer. It'll help you understand a bit more about what it takes to make an aggressive approach pay off. How do you know when to launch a move? What's the difference between creativity and aggression? What mindset do you need to be aggressive? We answer those questions and many more today. Also in this episode, we hear from elite coach and longtime former pro racer, Julie Young, as well as one of the best American riders of his generation, Brent Bookwalter. Finally, we hear from physiologist Jared Berg from the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center. A few final notes before we jump into the show. Find us, as always, on social media. Our handle is at RealFastLabs. Sign up for our newsletter to get special announcements on new episodes, learn about Zwift rides with famous guests, and much more by visiting FastLabs.com. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for others to find us. And tell all your friends that we have our own channel now and will no longer be heard on the Velo News channel, so they should find us right here on the Fast Talk channel. Finally, as always, thanks again for all of your questions and comments. Keep them coming. Write us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com. Now, get your knives out. Sharpen up those elbows. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Let's make you fast. I'm really happy to have you here with us today. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. You're a national champion. It Thank was you. way back in June. Has it has that faded? Uh, no. I rode <laughs> for Trek. We have a high vis training kit that we're supposed mm. to wear all the time. But then sometimes I um break the rules and I wear my national championship jersey. And today I wore it, and it's nice to oh, look down nice. and see that jersey. It's, yeah. it's pretty fun. Yeah. It's pretty special. <laughs> so are you going to get the team kit with the? The champion stripes on the arm. Um, they gave me a full kit, so I have for every road race I enter, I have a full stars and stripes jersey that I wear every road nice. race. Nice. Yeah. And for the rest of time, you could opt to have red, white, and blue I, on the sleeves, on the probably. Sleeves, yeah. After, yeah. I mean, we'll see. June can try and have another go you, at it. Exactly. After Don't that, let it yeah. let it slip out of your hands just yet. Yeah. It could, could be you yours again. <laughs> I mean, that's everybody always tries every year, right? But yeah. It's one of those things that you try every year, but you're not really so sure it's something gonna happen so yep. it's pretty cool when it did now i want to bring in a little personal anecdote that will help set the stage perhaps for this episode doesn't go hand in hand it's not a direct relationship but i think people will like to know that your nickname is rambo <laughs> yes <laughs> i have been called rambo before i don't know if it's a full-fledged nickname or not but yes you've been called rambo would you like to tell the the story of how that came to be um, it's actually a Polish mechanic on the national team that gave that to me a couple years ago, probably like 2000, I don't know, 11 or something. Oh, wow. That, that long ago. A while ago. Yeah. Um, it, he started calling me Rambino now too, which is a little, <laughs> a little different, but honestly, not too many people call it to me. So I'm surprised that it's like made it around, honestly. Um, but no Rambo, it just came, he, he said to me, he's like, oh, Rambo, he would always give all the girls on the team a nickname and um mine was apparently rambo because he said when i came back from a race i either had my blood or somebody else's on me exactly <laughs> so it's an awesome I, personally i feel like it's an awesome nickname yeah, i don't know how i don't dislike it <laughs> good yeah good and it's appropriate because today we're talking about aggressive racing yes <laughs> <laughs> so yes. sometimes the 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 knives come out mm -hmm. and well, obviously we're not talking about being aggressive by elbowing people <laughs> no. not necessarily maybe yes 
but we're talking about aggressive tactics, aggressive racing, when to be aggressive, how to be aggressive, when not to be aggressive, mm -hmm. when it's different from being creative, all of those things. So it's also, I think this is your forte, if I'm not putting words in your mouth, this is what you like to do in yeah, races. You for sure. Yeah. yeah. I really and like to race and I like call it just having fun almost sometimes you before a race. Like a, some races are really, you can kind of predict what's going to happen when and where. And some is just like, all right, let's just go and play and go for it. Play. And it's like that kind of aggressive style of racing that um, suits me really well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us about that. How did you come to know that that was for you? Was it, and is it based on skill or is it just because that's more fun or is it both? I grew up with bike racing, especially and watching it on the TV. So I think that there is to some degree a level of knowledge and maybe like natural talent that comes with reading a race and knowing when to race. And I also think growing up, I wasn't always the fastest right off the bat. So to win, I had to be a little bit smarter than mm -hmm. my component. So, so I, yeah, I think it just was kind of, came from there really just having wanting to win really badly and having to be smart about how I won and so racing aggressively and try to get up the road at a different part of the race is kind of I think where it comes from mm -hmm. yeah and we yeah. should say that uh we have a pro in the studio today we've gotten some feedback from our listeners that it's awesome to hear from pros but it doesn't always apply to them yeah whether it's the training or other aspects. But I think in this instance, people love to play. People mm -hmm. race their bikes to have fun to, to, to play. They don't all have the sprint. So if you're just sitting in and you don't have a sprint, probably not going to win a race. Yeah. So hopefully today we can bring out some of those um, things you've figured out. You're small. You don't have that powerful sprint necessarily, but you've figured out based on your body type, your physiology, how to win races by being aggressive. And hopefully that can help others. Yeah, definitely. Trevor caught up with Julie Young, an elite coach and former pro racer, to discuss the proper mindset for racing aggressively and addressing some of the common issues racers have when it comes to being aggressive. If you're coaching an athlete, who seems to be resistant to being aggressive, who tends to sit in the field and miss the moves, how do you work with them? Is it a training thing? Is it a mental thing? Is it a bit of both? And, and how do you work with that? It's both. You know, like for me, I think the training is where you gain your confidence, like that mentally and physically you can do those kind of things. But I also feel like racing when you're successful, it's very intuitive. Um, and instinctual. And I think for me, it's like helping riders be really in tune to that little voice and listening and doing as opposed to listening and hesitating. Um, so I think for me, that's, that's a big, big part of it. I also think for those riders, like to understand why are they fearful to, to ride like with more abandoned. And I think there's obviously like this, this balance of, you want to like conserve when you can conserve and make your moves count. But I also, you know, with the, with that writer, that's a bit more tentative or, or holding back is like, well, why, you know, I think giving them that license, like, Hey, every race is an opportunity to learn. Every race is an opportunity to challenge yourself. You know, when you try, you learn, when you try, you gain fitness. And, and that's the only way you learn is by trying. So I think helping them understand, like, it's it's not a, you know, one race is not going to be your make or break, but it's going to help you gain experience. And hopefully, you know, that kind of alleviates that pressure that perhaps is, is holding them back in those situations. Uh, that's a great way to frame it, which probably also answers the, the second part of this question of, Every athlete I have coached has asked me this. Well, what happens if I attack and I get caught? Because that seems to be one of the biggest fears that it prevents people from attacking. Yeah, and again, for me, it's like, gosh, you know, this much overused, but it really, this is all a process. And again, I think the more you try, the more you learn. And I mean, obviously some, some people maybe are too aggressive and they're kind of burning matches. So we have to temper that and we have to learn like, okay, it's the person that's the most clever that conserves when they should conserve and really makes those attacks count.
but you know what, at the end of the day, what's the, what's the loss? There's nothing lost, you know, like we're just, we have to try. And that's again, kind of alleviating that pressure of there's like, I think it's that fear of failure, but nothing is failure. It's just feedback and learning. That's a great way to frame it. And that also leads to the the second question. What about that other athlete who's too aggressive? The one who you, you talk to before the race and say, I want you to sit in the field for the first hour and then try to go in a move. And sure enough, one minute into the race, they're, they're going up the road. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because I really, I, I respect, like, I respect that kind of writer, you know, because they don't have any fear, but, but also helping them understand, like to finish it off you know, writing is not necessarily the strongest person that wins. It's the person that's, you know, intelligent. And again, it conserves when they can conserve, take, take one gear lighter when they're sitting in the group and, you know, really thinks about everything in the race, the terrain, the wind conditions uses everything to their advantage to really make that move count to succeed. So, you know, hopefully again, through experience that that writer starts realizing, gosh, this is not working. You know, I'm going off the front, but I'm, I'm not putting it together and I'm not coming away with the win. So hopefully, you know, again, through experience, you can help them understand to like kind of re reconnoiter their strategy. Let's get back to our conversation with Ruth, where we dive into why aggression might be the right approach for you. So a question I want to ask is you kind of hinted at this. So for example, I'm also, uh, I race aggressively and that's for one simple reason. If I come to the line with three people, I finish third. (laughs) I have zero sprint. I go backwards. So (laughs) if I want to win a race, Mm -hmm. I got to arrive at the line solo. So that by nature means I have to be an aggressive rider. Yeah. So the question I have for you, it sounds like you're a little bit like me, Mm -hmm. that you're, you're, you're probably not going to win a big field sprint, but is being an aggressive rider something that you know you have to look at your assets and go okay that's the type of rider i am therefore i should race aggressively or do you feel that some level of being aggressive is necessary to win a race no matter what that's a good question for someone who is a really really true sprinter then maybe they don't necessarily have to race that way like someone who knows that if they put themselves in the right position at the right time that they can win but I don't think there's that many people out there that can say that confidently. <laughs> so, right. yeah, I think that like everybody should be trying to go into a race, seeing how they can win the best way that they can win. And obviously, if you come down to a field sprint and you're one of 50, then your odds are much lower than you're if you're up the road. You could probably say even with a sprinter, even though for 160K or however long the race is, they don't need to be aggressive, but that last kilometer, they probably have to be oh, yeah. super aggressive. Super aggressive. Make yeah, up they have for to all put that. themselves in the right spot at the right time for sure. Yeah. It's a slightly different type of aggressive, but yeah. they have to be aggressive. Yeah, yeah, you can't let people push you around. You can't not take the wheel that you want to take, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I'd, I've not been like the main sprinter very many times, but there's been a handful of times where it's like, all right, all hope is like we can't be <laughs> aggressive anymore. We're not getting off the front. It's not happening. It's time to just like see what you can do in a sprint kind of a thing um i've not been there that often but i have been lead out girl quite a lot and oh it's very stressful <laughs> and yes. so you know fighting with one girl in the curb kind of a thing you're like who's gonna win here <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is there a benefit and i have some thoughts on this but i'm gonna ask you if you have somebody who's mostly recreational maybe they do a grand fondo maybe they go to the saturday morning throwdown but they're not doing that much in the way of big organized races is there a time and a place and a benefit to to being aggressive do you mean on the group rides yeah yeah just for the fun of it just for the fun of it i think group rides are always fun i think that this has to be when you go on a group ride you have to understand the rules of the group ride like every group ride (laughs) kind of has like a a theme or a okay we go hard between this stop sign and this stop sign type of thing so don't be the person that's a douche on the group ride just attacking at a random spot <laughs> um but i think like that's kind of part of the fun and part of the learning as well like you can learn how hard you can go to push yourself like at what point and on the climbs or on a sh- on a, the downhills or around a corner or how long and you can hold something so i think it's definitely worth trying on a group ride i think this is one of those things That can be hard to explain because there's some, quote, art to it. And when you get into that, it's, well, how do I know when and how do I understand and read the group dynamic and things like that? But 
is that the case? Is there some guesswork? Is there some art? Is it based on a lot of experience? Is it all of those things rolled into one? All of them, excuse me, <clears throat> all of those things rolled into one. Um, I think that, I think one of the best, best times to attack is probably like when you're hurting the most, because if you're hurting, then probably everybody else is hurting. At least that's what I like to tie into I've heard, I've heard that mantra before. So <laughs> you, know, you actually so employ that, huh? I have, I have, and it has worked for me in the past. Um, it worked for me at a stage race I did in the Czech Republic. I was just dying a hundred deaths <laughs> and, and, and everybody was, and it worked out really well because then I attacked and then I got a gap and I held it solo to the line. Um, but then at nationals, it was kind of when I got my gap there it was much more of like a tactical type play like one of my teammates had just done a really hot attack and so everybody was a bit tired and then we just exited the feed zone and we had about 20 miles to go um, but then I like was really sneaky about it like I didn't tr I had tried not to be really obvious especially mm -hmm. in a race when everybody's watching you kind of a thing like you have to be smart about who's watching you and when they expect you to go so maybe you don't want to attack on the climb because everybody's going to just expect you to attack on the climb something right, like that right well let, let's let's hold off on digging too deep into your nationals win because I think we should pick that apart as a good <laughs> example but going back to your point about attacking when you're hurting the most yeah i feel like that is it is a thing you hear so it's not the least obvious it's there's some it's predictable in some way that somebody yeah. might attack when that's happening but at the same time if you can give just a little bit more than everybody else that's hurting psychologically I mm -hmm. think that's what comes into play a lot there. Physiologically, everybody's hurting. Psychologically, if you can just say, you know what, if I get away, everybody back there is just going to say, ah, oh, the hell with it. I can't do this. But yeah. let's take a step back there because that's a really important point that some people really struggle with. When you're in a race or even just on the group ride and you're really hurting, there, there you can quickly slip into that mindset of, oh my God, every, I'm hurting how is everybody else stronger than me? And you always have to remember, if you're hurting, everybody else is hurting too. And, mm -hmm. and you have to keep telling yourself that because it's easy to lose that. I have a lot of athletes I coach who will come back after a race or, or after a key ride and just say, I, I just don't get it. We, we were all together, but I was dying. And I had to have that talk with them about, yeah, everybody else was dying too. <laughs> yeah. If there was anybody there who wasn't dying, they're going to win. So don't worry about them. <laughs> right. It brings up the poker face, I guess. How much is the poker face play into this? Yeah. Looking like you're not hurting as much as the other people. Yeah, a little bit of that for sure. And I think just like the gamble at some point, you know, you have to try. You have to take the gamble. And maybe when everyone else is hurting, they do like look at each other a bit more and think, oh, I'll let him chase or her chase or whatever. Like it won't be okay just when you're still fresh at the beginning of the race everyone's just like oh i'm on it i'm on it i'm on it but then when everyone starts to get tired it's like oh maybe they'll do it instead of me kind of a thing and that's often what creates the gap it's just like people looking at each yeah. other have you worked much on the sports psychology side of things to improve that component of your my poker face or... no your your ability to shut out the pain mentally mm. to say everybody you know just to move beyond that thought of ah not now, the next move I'll go, just to be ready at all times to deal with the pain. Yes, I have worked with a couple of sports psychologists over the years, and we with one a few years ago when I was especially leading up to the Olympics for track racing, when it's just like going as hard as you possibly can go for four minutes when I was doing the team pursuit. Mm -hmm. uh, we worked a lot on just like being in the moment specifically and just focusing on the how hard you can pedal in that current moment rather than thinking of how hard you can pedal in one split second from now so mm -hmm. just like constantly right. thinking like Being how present. much can i do right now don't think about how much you're going to hurt if you have to follow an attack just like constantly just pedaling now mm. instead of the future in any capacity mm -hmm. so i think that can be somewhat helpful in that situation mm -hmm. yeah any other tips any other tips? <laughs> um, I don't know. Some That's people, a good one. That's a some good people one. like to count. Some people like to count. I just say, I just honestly repeat right here, right now, right here, right now. Just mm. like repeat that to myself and having something to focus on rather than your pain is mm -hmm. helpful. Like mm -hmm. I had a teammate that did the alphabet, which I was always like, how do you, uh. I would get to like C and then be lost, <laughs> you know? Like, so yeah. Counting oh, sheep might yeah. be the next one we hear <laughs> of. I always use telephone poles and trees. Oh, yeah. Mm. I just look up the road, see a telephone pole, and just go, get to, to there. Get to there. Get to and there. Then, the then as soon as you got there, you looked up the road, looked at the next one, and went, 
Okay, now get to that one. That's funny. Yeah, I was riding with Mara Abbott one time up Sunshine Canyon, and they have those big blue barrels on the side mm-hmm. of them. Yep. And she kept being like, just get to the next one, just get to the next <laughs> one. I was like, how many freaking barrels are there on this time? <laughs> Meanwhile, Mara's like nose breathing, and I'm like, dying a thousand <laughs> deaths next to her. But yeah, that's a good, she, I assume, uses that mm-hmm. frequently as well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that we, we fully covered how you came to understand that this is for you. Yeah. Was it just through trial and error uh, when you were racing as a junior? Yeah, I guess like being tactical because I wasn't the strongest always was just like trying to win that way. Um, I have a really good memory actually racing against Corinne as a junior. Mm-hmm. Corinne um, Rivera. Corinne Rivera, who is a very, very fast sprinter. And we were at track nationals and she'd won probably everything up until this probably. point. <laughs> and it was a scratch race and it was 21 laps. And I was just like, I either... I either was like, I have, I have to, to try and make the world championship team. I had to win a race. Mm-hmm. I was like, how do I, how do I beat her? How do I beat her? And so I n- had to just be really smart about it. And I worked with my coach at the time who was Harvey Nitson. He was just like on the phone with me, literally, like I had to put the phone down because I was riding onto the track to start the race. <laughs> and it's just like, you just had to really be smart because she's so much stronger than me at that time in our lives. Like she was just such a dominant junior racer and still is a dominant um, racer mm-hmm. now. Uh, that you just, I just had to be that small to try and win. And I, I did end up winning, but I, as soon as the gun went uh, for that race, I attacked. Mm. And basically, I just, I just kept attacking. Like, I just didn't stop attacking. And it was 21 laps, so it's not the longest race ever. But, you know, I just had to think, how am I going to beat her? And so the only option I has was, had was to either, like, lose the race off the back, like, three laps down because I was so exhausted, or to just attack her so many times that eventually she could couldn't keep following or mm-hmm. looked at other people to follow kind of a thing and eventually she looked at other people to follow and they didn't and then I went off the front so there you went go to junior nationals so I learned the lesson really really young I think and I think just being kind of a general like a really good athlete but not necessarily head and shoulders and good at one specific aspect of cycling so like my sprinting is okay my climbing is pretty good but like not I'm not a mountain rider by any means so just being like an overall all-rounder i think you kind of have to take opportunity where you can find it you talked about tactical you said you're you're very tactical you learn to be very smart so one of the questions i might be jumping the gun a little bit here but i I really want to get to and ask you Hmm. is you know in some ways attacking really early like doing what you you talked about earlier of attacking right off the gun yeah that's not a sm- necessarily a smart move. No, because like I said, like I had to either, I knew I was going to either yeah. lose off the back or win off the front. Um, so no, it's not always smart, but sometimes you don't have a choice. Like at that point, it was one of our last races of nationals. And I'm like, well, I either win and I can't go down to a sprint. Like we all know Corinne's going to just out sprint me. So. Right. So you have to try something. But there's the dumb move that you have to do to win. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the smart dumb move. Yep. And then there's just the dumb, dumb move. <laughs> What's yeah. the difference? I mean, I think the fact that our race was only 21 laps long made a big difference to my move there. So, like, maybe if you're the person that's going to attack, like, lap number one on a criterium that's an hour long, that might be a little dumb. Like, unless you know that you, uh, I don't know, Annemiek Van Vluten, who attacks 100 kilometers out from the finish line <laughs> of Road Worlds. Like, I right. don't really know that many yeah. people that can do it. So, I think just reading the situation a little bit in that scenario. So what do you look for? How do you know when mm. now's the time to be aggressive versus now I'm just killing myself being aggressive? Honestly, I think that the knowing yourself and the distance from the finish line makes a big difference. So you have to know yourself and your how long you can go personally. Um, and you have to know your competitors and how much you think that their willingness to chase you down at a certain point will be. So trying to like pick the right moment, if it is at the very start of the race, if you think everyone's going to look at you and be like, oh, that's dumb, and then let you go up the road, <laughs> then maybe it is dumb, but maybe it works. But maybe you also know your competitors are not going to let you do that. So then wait for a late point in the race. There's always risk involved yeah. with being aggressive. There is always. And it's sometimes, yeah, sometimes the dumb, dumb move turns out to be a smart move yeah. only in retrospect. Yeah. Because it was like a one in a million chance and it worked out. Mm-hmm. But there's that risk, even with the smart dumb move, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, I think so. And you just have to weigh that if you can when you're uh, cross-eyed and everybody else is cross-eyed in a, in a race. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Simple. Now, something I, and I don't know if this applies at your level, but something I tell some of the Masters athletes, some of the, the Cat 3 and 4 riders yeah. that I coach is they'll often look at a course profile and, and go, oh, right there, that's like 15 miles from the finish, there's a little hill, that's the place to break away. Yeah. And what I always tell them, if you look at the course and find that ideal place to break <laughs> away, everybody else in the field has seen that spot. And if you attack there, all you're going to do is speed up the field because everybody's attacking. Yep. So there is a little bit of what I always tell them is look for the place where other people are going to think twice about going with you. Yeah. Or if you know, you're like, okay, this this is a really good point to attack and you probably think that one of your competitors will attack then, then just be really aware of it and try and get on their wheel and then counter. Like maybe someone goes at the bottom of the small roller and what's an even better place to go is over the top of a roller because people get to the top and if you've not attacked yet, then it's like, oh, maybe we'll just like sit up kind of over the top as we get ready for the descent. But then maybe it's better to just kind of counter off someone or go right at the very, very top of a hill rather at the bottom of the hill. Mm-hmm. Why don't we have you describe, because because it's arguably your biggest win, your national championship win, mm-hmm. um, people may or may not have seen it based on where they were in the world and, and the coverage and all of that, but take us through that day in the context of reading the race, using teammates, being both creative and aggressive, and, and, and uh, in that context of all the things we're trying to express here nationals is one of those races that it's really it's an odd race because everybody's watching everybody and there are some u.s teams that have maybe six girls and then there'll be the european girls that don't have any teammates because they race on european teams and all the teammates are european so, so it's more like local racing kind of in a way it is um and so you'll have like five girls really watching each other because they, you know, they'll be Corinne from Sunweb and then me and Taylor from Trek and then Alexis Ryan from Canyon. Um, and then there'll be, yeah, six Hagens Berman or right, right. who are all can all, all equally play in the game. And then the rest of the field and always some 2020 riders that are strong like Chloe and Jen and some other really good women. So it's kind of just like this game of everybody watching everybody. Um, and it really is really beneficial to have a teammate. Uh, last last year, when I was Corinne's teammate, actually, like she, uh, we really worked well together, and I could really help her come down to a field sprint. But it, like without a teammate, she would have to chase everything. So mm-hmm. going into this year, I kind of knew that already. I'm like, well, Corinne is alone this year, and I have a teammate in Taylor. And Taylor and I both knew that we can't take Corinne to the line, or Alexis Ryan, or Emma White, because they're all super fast sprinters. So we knew that we were going to have to try and get away somehow. Um, and Taylor is super strong climber, so she was going really hard up the climb, thinking that that would kind of string everybody out and make it challenging. And even myself, I was like on the back, like, oh, Taylor, I need you to slow down. Like I was dying <laughs> so bad up that climb. So at Nationals, we do, for anybody that didn't watch the race, we do a circuit, which we did seven times, that has, I think it's about a five-minute climb. It's fairly steep. And then after that, we have a pretty steep somewhat technical descent that then drops you out onto kind of this highway road Um, so you have a hard climb and then a pretty fast descent Um, and so Taylor had been going really hard up the climb to just try and string it out and then I didn't so typically when a teammate goes really hard then the as soon as that person is brought back and comes back to the field the second there's the lull you need to the the thing is to attack to go right away which I knew everybody would be waiting for because that's like what everybody does. Like you just yeah. you do that. So I yeah. waited past that point mm. and nobody else went, which was, there was already a small breakaway up the road at this point, actually. There was already, I think, three or four riders right. up the road. Um, but when Taylor had gone really hard up the climb, I think everybody else would just like kind of stopped and started to look at each other. I'm like, oh, are you going to go? Are you going to go? Um, and nobody did. And then I waited past that lull and then I came up to Taylor and I, made sure I did it in a way so that there wasn't somebody on my wheel that I knew would be able to to chase me down immediately. And this person was Katie. I knew Katie was on my wheel and I have a bunch, like I, when I attack with speed, I have quite a lot of speed. And Katie is a fantastic climber, but doesn't have- Katie her, Hall. Katie Hall um, doesn't have as much speed when she attacks. So I thought, okay, Katie's on my wheel. But I came alongside Taylor and I just made it look like I was gonna have a conversation with Taylor, mm-hmm. which I didn't. I just asked her if she was okay. And she was like, yeah, I'm okay. And then I just <laughs> attacked. <laughs> Which, honestly, when I went, it's one of those things that I'm like, well, I'm going to go because Taylor's just, everybody's uh, on the limit a little bit here. Like, she's just done pretty hard over this climb. 
um, it's a good chance because there's definitely a lull. Like, no, people are not paying as much attention right now. It was still 21 miles from the finish, so it's still fairly mm-hmm. long way to go. So people are going to be like, uh-huh, like, we'll get her. Like, she has time <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, so I kind of, in my mind, was like, well, this is a good time to go to set up Taylor. Honestly, I was like, Taylor was feeling so strong on that climb. Like, I'm just going to go. And then when I get brought back and Taylor can go again on the climb or something right. like that like that's what I was thinking at that time but then I um I don't normally look at my power when I'm racing but then after that I switched my power meter so that I could see the screen with my power so that I knew that I was riding within myself at a fairly good speed and eventually I caught the couple of girls that were off the front uh, which was really good because then I was able to get some recovery and work with them a little bit and then going over the climb only one girl stayed with me and then, which was also good to have someone with me for some period of time. Right, right. Um, and I was really wanted to be with her, so that was really good. And she was really working hard. And That's then, a little bit of a mental boost for that period of time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And then it was just like the gap got filled. I don't even remember how big it got now. Maybe a minute and a half or something. Like it got felt like fairly big. Uh, and then with one lap to go, it's funny on the course is this out and back section so I could see in the follow car was um Taylor Taylor Lyle's wife Olivia and then my boyfriend Zach was in the car and my you're allowed radios at nationals but my radio hadn't been working so I hadn't heard anything but then I just could see them in the car as we went like as we Mm -hmm. doubled back on the course and they were just out of the car like banging on the car like (laughs) come on keep going keep going and at this point like for the last lap I just went as hard as I could and I eventually dropped the girl that I was with and I changed my power back from with a lap with a lap to go. I changed it back so I couldn't see the power anymore and I was just staring at the white line on the road doing that right here, right now moment. Like yeah. just mm-hmm. uh, going as fast as I could go and just keep pushing on the pedals as hard as I could go. And the field was getting like really, really close behind me actually. Like they w- they got when I was probably like three miles from the finish, I looked behind me and I was like, okay any moment now they're going to catch me like it's just going to be a matter of time but we're like three miles to go so i can't stop like you have to just keep going you have to keep going and then when we got to the last mile i knew we had a few turns and so i was literally just sprinting between every turn just like using the corner as recovery and just like you could breathe when you get to the corner but you have to sprint (laughs) between every corner and then yeah like cross the line just in front of corinne uh and i just was couldn't believe it so you've just dissected Mm-hmm. your aggressive move to win nationals. And you've yeah. probably really li- relived that countless times. Yeah. So you're looking back on it now. Is it from the outside a an attack that's brilliant or an attack that was dumb that just happened to work? Both. <laughs> I really both. think it was both when I think about it because I didn't think it would work. And I think that a lot came into play with how the field was acting behind me, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think it was a really good attack on my part. I think the way when I attacked and I really thought about how I was going to attack, I t- attacked at a part that wasn't just after the climb, but some time had gone by. I was tactical about where I put myself in the field when I attacked to make sure the people that I didn't want on my wheel weren't on my wheel. Um, and things like that. So I think all of those parts of the attack were like very thought about and I did what I wanted to do and I achieved what I wanted to do. But the fact that it worked was kind of dumb. Like I don't know how it worked, and but it did work. And Rambo. Yeah. Strength. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, looking back at my power file, I had like some pretty good numbers. And yeah, it was one of my best one hour powers with one of my best 20 minute powers at the end of that hour. So like it was, I was having a really good day on the bike. There was no denying that too, but mm-hmm. it was actually a really, well, I've been able to go back and watch like the last, I don't know, a couple miles of the race. And it's like a pretty exciting race too, because <laughs> they get so close. Yeah. They get so close. Close to you. Yeah. yeah. And then they, and then it just lets go again and then it gets close and then it lets go again. So it just kind of also depends not just on yourself, but how you anticipate the other the rest of the people in the field and it's just kind of how nationals works and the people and the fact that people don't have as many teammates in that race because everybody just starts to look at everybody else mm-hmm. and like well you mm-hmm. do it well you do it or you do it or they'll get organized for a minute and then someone else will attack and then it like messes up the organization of the chase and so in some ways it's never easy to win by attacking 21 miles out no 
but it's probably easier in a race with that situation, those circumstances where there's a lot of people are racing as individuals or with a, maybe one or two teammates and people are looking at each other rather than in a race where a big team can just say, you know what, it's time to bring Ruth back and they just go to the front exactly. and bring you back. Yeah, exactly. So it, in some ways it's applicable, more applicable to local racing, amateur racing, masters racing yeah. in that way. Like we were saying earlier, it's like gamble a little bit, like you don't know unless you try kind of a thing. And I was lucky to have a teammate in Taylor that if I had come back, like I had that backup of Taylor being able to Do maybe something. go, you yep. know? Yeah. Well, I, I've said this on the show before, and as a breakaway rider, the, the thing that I really learned is if a field really wants to bring somebody back, a field can always bring back a solo rider. So the art of breaking away is convincing the field mm-hmm. not to bring you back somehow to convince them to let you win and what i really loved about your description is how thoughtful you were about that whole process right down to the going up and pretending to talk to your teammate and then attacking to catch people off guard not going at the moment that everybody expected but just after that and that even though you were being aggressive it was very thought out and set you up in that situation where the field would be looking at one another. They were tired. They'd just gone up a climb hard and, and kind of going, well, you want to chase her? I don't want to chase her. Yeah. Giving you that gap. But then there was a certain point where it seems like it just turned around and it was about putting your head down and hurting and just surviving <laughs> to the end. And whether they're a minute back or five seconds back, I don't care because I'm just going to go until I die. Yeah. I mean, at some point, I didn't have a choice anymore. I was like, well, we're committed to this one, aren't we, Ruth? So (laughs) (laughs) head down, keep going. Honestly, that that segues really well into something else I wanted to address, which was to be a racer who wins this way, you can't just have the ability to get away from the field. You have to have the ability to stay away from the field. You have to have that at times a time trialers mentality and ability to to really put your head down and grit it out and go for it so what are the types of things you have to train to be this aggressive type of racer i mean it's just suffering really <laughs> it's just like you just have to just go out and cycling suffer. is pain cycling is pain that's what murik the polish mechanic oh, that gave me my nickname that's... rambo he used to say to me rambo cycling is pain and i was like okay <laughs> um in a nutshell yes yes basically uh i think like what you were talking about a little bit just like being in the moment and suffering that way is there's quite a lot of it. Um, when you're in a breakaway with other people and maybe you're not the best climber in the group, it's actually probably better that you pull up the climb rather than letting a climber pull up the climb because you yeah. can t- control the p- pace a bit better. So just being smart about those things. Like um, don't ever try and be the strongest person in a breakaway. You don't need to be the hero of the breakaway. You just pull through just as hard as you need to pull through. Um, that's actually one that I think a lot of um, lower category riders sometimes get confused about because it's like well I need to go as hard as possible to try and stay away and I'm like yeah but if you go as hard as possible and then somebody else doesn't then they just outsprint you in the end anyway kind of thing so you have to be smart about how you use your effort um, as well. I always tell athletes when you're in a breakaway your goal is to not be noticed because most of the time if the other riders are noticing you it's not a good thing it's either because your pace your your pace lining is awful (laughs) and they want you out of there (laughs) Or you're taking monster pulls and you're blowing yourself up. Yeah. If you're taking a good pull, pulling off right, doing everything right, everybody else is hurting too. They're not noticing you at all. So the goal is to not be noticed. Also, doing monster pulls sometimes, uh, if you want, you want to be friends with your breakaway companions. To a point. To a point, yes. Especially the beginning of the breakaway when you're trying to establish a gap. And if you were the strongest person in the breakaway and you're doing monster pulls, all you're doing is hurting your breakaway companions. So sometimes you have to ride slower just to make sure that you keep that group together. Because this has happened to me a number of times. I'm like, you need to slow down because you are dropping me and you need my help because we still have so much of the race to go. Um, Which is a funny thing to tell people. I'm like, you don't understand slower is faster right now. Um, Especially in a group of like four or five and if you pull through really hard you think about that and then you gap them off and then they're no longer in your draft and then they have to try and come around you and you're like flicking your elbow at them why aren't they coming and mm-hmm. you've just you know that dead yeah <laughs> right they're not recovering on the wheel anymore they're actually probably going harder than when they were on the front so 
you actually have to think about things like that sometimes when you're the strongest one in the breakaway. Mm-hmm. And when the person in front of you pulls off, maintain the speed. Yeah. Don't accelerate, then pull off, and that poor person behind you. Yeah, you need your hurt. you need your breakaway companions to a certain degree. Once it's time yeah. to go and try and time to win, then you can put the hood on them. But try and be friends with your <laughs> breakaway friends at first. Trevor also chatted with Brent Bookwalter of the Mitchelton Scott World Tour team about confidence and how it can help overcome the fear of failure and judgment, which often make racers hesitate. Oh, yeah, Ruth's inspiring. I think just uh, she's had a long, successful career, but uh, seeing her nationals win this year, that was something that, yeah, was inspiring for me to watch. And, and I'm a fan, so she can maybe attest to it even more than I can, but uh, I think in rooted in being an aggressive rider is that going back to that confidence piece and and the fear that a lot of us have of of maybe failure um, and the feel of fear of other people's opinions and judgments. Um, so somehow having some awareness for the relationship that we have uh, with those with those feelings and those reservations, confronting it head on, uh, processing it, and then getting through it and moving on from it. It helps to just have some, I mean, to, to be aggressive, you got to have that fire and you got to have that fight. And for me personally, that's something I have to continue to, to check in with myself and find and cultivate and get how I, how I get lit up and ignited and burn that big, hot, deep, dark flame now isn't the same way that I did before when I was younger. Um, so that's something that's changing and for me, it takes a little bit of conscious work to, to think about and feel and, and to sort of ignite consciously. Let's get back to our conversation with Ruth. Maybe it's just that you're naturally built for this, but what are some of the types of things that you work on to prepare for being aggressive? Do you work on your jump? Do you work on your time trialing ability? Are you working on these? Is this What do you do to learn how to suffer the pain. <laughs> I think that I train everything pretty well-rounded and that's just the kind of rider that I am. Um, I think, you know, people train their strengths but also their weaknesses, you know, so I would say what whoever is your coach that you should really be kind of focusing on everything but make sure that you make your best, your what you do the best, your best thing and then what you do the worst as good as you can make it, if that makes sense. Like don't sacrifice your best um, attribute just to try and make your worst one a little bit better. Uh, and then really go into a race prepared to know what what the race is like. I think that's a big thing too. Like knowing the course detail, going in prepared, knowing who your competitors are. Those are all things that really make a difference when it comes to being in a breakaway. Because sometimes it's not, like I've said earlier, it's not the always the strongest one that the, that's winning, but the one that's the most prepared or the smartest one that can win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of attacking comes from that. So yeah, just... Knowing who you are, I guess, essentially knowing who you are as an athlete and then being prepared with race knowledge. Let's talk a little bit about the mindset side of it. Yeah. Because there is a huge mindset to this, be able to suffer like that, mm-hmm. worrying about whether the field's going to catch you. And to give you an example, so I was in a, a local race up near Toronto called the, the Blue Mountain Grand Fondo in June. And I broke away really early, about two hours from the finish. And I was, you know, initially I was like all excited because I'm like, cool, I'm going to average X wattage for the next two hours. Mm-hmm. That's going to look great when I look at the file. <laughs> Five minutes later, I'm like, I've got to average what wattage for the next two hours? It hurt. Yeah. It, it hurt for five minutes and I had two more hours of this. And that can mentally get to you. And you're also looking back. Initially, the field's still in view. They can yeah. view you. And, you know, I'm a breakaway rider. I've done it for a long time. And there were just some moments of... Oh boy, what did I just get myself into? The moments of doubt. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare for that? How do you deal with that? How do you sit there and say, I just broke away from the top women in the U.S. I've got how much longer ahead of me? Mm-hmm. Do you just go, oh, that's cool? Or is there Basically, a- <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like you want some like grand answer from me, but I get myself in that situation a number of times. And I'm like, well, okay, here we are. You embrace the pain. Yep. You just have to, like, you once you've made that decision to attack, which you sound like you've experienced many times, yes. like, you just kind of have to be like, well, I've already made the choice, so got to have to, you know, just own up to my choices, I guess, and 
keep going until I get caught. Because at that point, you're like, what do you, I guess there are times where you could be like, I really, if you end up solo and it's really not a good time to be solo, I have to say there have been a couple of times where I'm like, I do not want to be alone for the next <laughs> 50 kilometers of this bike race. Like this was not but the tactic. <laughs> I've done it both ways. I've done it where you just put your head down and you keep going and you hope that people come across to you, which has happened to me a couple of times. Um, or it's been like, this is just it's a suicide march like this isn't anything not gonna get me anywhere maybe i'm just exhausting myself by being up the road by myself it's weird though to watch bike racers do that because how often do you see a bike racer just actually sit up and say you know what that was totally dumb i'm just gonna like literally sit on the side of the road and wait and And then basically it never happens we all put our head down and keep yep. going. And you do. We might not go 100%. Sometimes we go 100%. Other times we're like, this is totally stupid. But you still keep going. Yeah, you do. And it's probably like where the mental part of that comes in, right? It's just like, okay, you've made this choice. You just got to keep going. And it's like, because we're all athletes that love to push ourselves. That's why we're racing bikes or riding bikes or, you know, within the sport somehow, because we like that pain. It's crazy as it all sounds. We're like, do we all really like it? But then you you know you really like it. So then you're pushing yourself and you want to see if you can make it. You want to see if you can hold off, you know, your competitors. Like that's part of the excitement of trying to do it, I think. So I think for me mentally, it's just like, all right, now I'm in this situation. Just keep pedaling. It's like, there's also, I see, uh, have you seen the movie Finding Nemo? They're just like, just fi- Finding Nemo. They're like, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Like, just yeah. keep pedaling, just keep Because like at that point, like I said, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to? Mm-hmm. You're already off the front. You already made your choice. So is what there is- any fear of embarrassment? And that's why you just keep going? Um, <laughs> No, I wouldn't say embarrassment, but it's kind of like the kind of thing, like, right, if you don't try. And for me personally, it's like, well, I can either try this or I can try and out sprint the sprinters, which maybe I'll, maybe if I'm, have some miracle day, but Mm -hmm. probably not. So Right. (laughs) Tell me if this is how it is for you. This was always how it was for me. When when you're being aggressive, there's two points of aggression. You know, sometimes you're really lucky in a race and that first attack is the attack that goes and, and you're gone for the day. But mm-hmm. often I find if I say I'm going into this race, I want to break away. Often there's a couple failed attempts before finally one move works. Mm-hmm. So I find initially I just have to be kind of aggressive and just look for the moves and, and attack a fair amount until I find that move. But Whenever I'm up the road, there is a point of no return where you go, if I get caught, my day is done mm-hmm. if I go past this point. So if I, if I decide to keep going, this is my move for the day. I either win or I'm just done. And before I hit that point, I always kind of make a second decision of, is this something that I want to commit to? And Chris talked about sometimes you see riders that will sit up and go back to the field. I have had times where I went, yeah, this is just dumb. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the field right now before mm-hmm. I hit that point and hope no return and hope there there's an opportunity later. Mm-hmm. Is that it for you or is it you're much more once you're up the road, that's it? No, I think that I agree with that. I think that there are definitely times where you're like, okay, um, like kind of at nationals, like I was saying, it's like I got to within a certain distance to the finish line, basically. Like when you know you can't go back to the field and recover anymore, you've like there is no more time to recover. So you've been doing your hard effort, and once the field catches you and one more person attacks, you know you can't match that acceleration anymore. So for me, it definitely becomes like a distance to the finish line, which I would say I'm using probably in crit racing more than in uh, road racing sometimes because I think. Road racing is so hard and you don't really know what will happen. But in crits, I'll be like, okay, if five laps to go, nothing's stayed away or this break isn't going to stay away and we're almost being caught, then maybe I'll start taking really short pulls and saving myself because I know within five more laps then I can get enough recovery to either try and get still a result in the sprint or help my sprinter, leave my sprinter out, that type of thing. Because this type of racing often ends in failure... Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Often, all, almost always. Almost <laughs> always ends in failure. How do you remain confident? Well, I think, I don't know if it's maybe not completely all luck. I would like to think it's not just luck, but when you just like want to hit your head against a wall because you don't know what you're doing anymore with this attacking situation, <laughs> you win. Like right when you're about to break, it's like, oh, I won. And then that feeling is amazing. And then you just keep doing. But it's kind of like, the same thing you know sitting in for the bunch sprint you're not gonna win that way either but also 
being on a good team with a sprinter that can win that way, you get a lot of confidence when maybe you have a team that's pretty well-rounded. And for me personally, like I can still help my teammates win a lot of the time. So if it's not me winning from a breakaway, then my odds are still pretty great with my other teammates, either them winning from a breakaway or me helping my sprinter. But often it's just like you just keep trying and eventually, eventually, <laughs> eventually, if you do enough bike races, then it happens. Like I've been racing, you know, since I was 15 years old and now I'm 26 and I finally won nationals winning like, oh no, I've won junior national championships before, but like uh, winning a race in that style hasn't happened to me before. And I've been racing really? 10 years. So, I mean, I've won solo off the front before, but if you watch the finish of that race, it's like pretty really excuse me pretty exciting um yeah so it doesn't happen that often so you mm -hmm. just have to keep believing but it can get a little bit demoralizing sometimes but so stubbornness is a good quality for an yeah. aggressive rider to have yeah i would say i'm pretty stubborn <laughs> very stubborn actually <laughs> so let me ask you what i hope is an interesting question because as you said <laughs> me too, i hope so too <laughs> the uh racing this way there's a lot of failure mm -hmm. in between successes so if you could physiologically change yourself, turn yourself into any type of rider you wanted with any strengths that you wanted, would you change who you are and how you race? Or are you kind of, no, being aggressive is just fun. <laughs> no, and somebody asked me this not that long ago, and I just replied with, I like who I am. And I'm like, is that cocky thing to say? I'm not sure. But no, I, really I knew do you like, were going to say that. I really do like who I am, and I think that that's what makes me stubborn and keep trying though because i think that i really enjoy it even though sometimes it's miserable when you're out there all on your, on your own and you get caught with like 100 meters to go and then you get somehow 50th in the last 100 meters of a bike race when you've been off the front for the last two hours you know like that's happened more times <laughs> than i would like to think about or remember but then you know like it's really exciting too and it makes people like really into the bike race and people are like oh my gosh you were out there for so long and, oh, and then you lost and i'm so like that sucks so much and i'm like yeah i know but people <laughs> like people really you know like to see that type of thing and really get behind you and i have a lot of support and a lot of fans and it i don't know yeah yeah kind of like not that people that are really good sprinters don't because obviously they do but i think that bike racing needs all these different kinds of types of races and to keep it interesting and exciting yeah i'm 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 right there with you i'm not the type of person that's going to sit in for and and actually don't have much patience so being aggressive and creative and all of that is the fun part of racing for me mm -hmm. it's the bonus that that type of racing on at your caliber is the entertaining thing about bike racing yeah. too that makes the, the, the audience, the public, enjoy it that much more. If everybody, if every stage of the Tour de France was a sprint stage, there'd be some people that would still watch it. But honestly, it would be mo a more boring race than if mm -hmm. every stage was a Ruth Winder stage where people were being aggressive and attacking and using their brain as much as their legs to, to race. Yeah. <laughs> but we asked the question, which you never really answered at the beginning of this podcast of, not everybody listening is a, a professional racer, so, yeah. so why would they want to hear about this? And my answer to that as a coach is, I mean, I coach athletes of all levels, right down to, I have an athlete that I've been coaching five, six years now who's, I think, done one actual organized race in his life. He just likes the group rides. But every athlete I have coached, the time when they have called me, they were the most exhilarated about an experience they had. It was that... I got away from the field. I was solo for 10 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. It was the best feeling in the world. And whether they won or lost was kind of, you know, if they won, it was a bit of a bonus, but it was that being away. There's just nothing better than that feeling of looking back, I dropped the field, I'm on my own. Yeah, and I think Be a lot of that's like you're, you do, you get to dictate your pace and you get to say how fast and how hard you're going and you feel really good about it because often the time you're in the field and you're suffering, but it's not because you're doing it. Maybe if you are on the front, then you are, but when you get away, it's like this is something that I've worked on and that I'm really strong in this moment right now. And it's, a, I don't know, I think it's a really good feeling. You know, that's kind of like, we're all bike races and we like to suffer and yeah it's fun to be able to do that and keep keep, <laughs> keep people at bay <laughs> while doing it cycling is yeah, pain cycling is pain <laughs> thanks Merrick. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what's the difference between being creative and being aggressive? And how do you know when to employ each strategy? I don't know that you can really have one without the other, can you? Like. <laughs> you tell me. You're the bike racer. I mean, I guess just being aggressive just for the sake of being aggressive does happen when you want to just make the race hard. Like mm. whether it's for yourself or for a teammate, you know the race has to be hard for you to be successful, whether you're trying to drop a sprinter or something like that. And it doesn't really matter who is in the breakaway with you, you just know you have to drop the sprinter. So then you just go bananas attacking the race. And to me that's just being aggressive sure. without necessarily too much thought behind it. Just it doesn't matter where in the race you are. You're just going and you just need to go really hard and make it really hard so that you, the field is as small as possible. Yeah, I mean, there reason. is there is thought in that, in yeah. that, you know, it's like, if I don't do this, then. So you're, yeah. you are thinking, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's less tactical yeah. in a sense. Less like, okay, I need to really use my energy really smartly because I can only do it one or two times than just like yeah. just going really hard and just keep going because... I need to just be really aggressive and make this race really hard. To me, mm -hmm. I think that that would be the difference. Do you have a go-to workout that you like to prepare for races when you're going to be aggressive? I know you train train the, the breadth and depth of what you can train, but do you have a go-to workout that you love that not only brings you the physiological strengths you want, but also just sort of one that builds your confidence? It's a pretty common workout, actually, but the 30-30s or 40-20s or something like that I do pretty frequently before a really big event. And Des, um, this, Can you describe that to those that aren't familiar with that? Uh, so it's the 30-30s I normally do pretty much like 30 seconds, just pretty much as hard as I can go for 30 seconds. And then sometimes I do this the next 30 seconds completely recovery or I'll do them at zone two or zone three. So you're still holding some load after you've just gone almost as hard as you can and then repeat that for maybe 10 minutes or something like that so at the end of the 10 minutes it feels like pretty full gas 10 minute effort mm -hmm. um, and then the 40 20s are also a similar thing you just have to dial it back a little bit more because doing 40 seconds um, it's just a little bit harder. And then with 20, typically with the 20 seconds, um, almost completely recovery. And I'll try and do them on a small bit of a hill most of the time. Sometimes I do them on the flat because it's a little bit more challenging for me to like yeah. really hold the power higher. Right. Ball is on a climb. It's easier, easier with quotations because it just the, the gravity mm -hmm. or whatever helps you keep the pressure on the pedals a little bit more. Right. Um, but that typically, I don't know, it's a really, really hard workout that just makes you feel like you've just gone really, really hard. And then you take a couple of days recovery and get ready, ready for you, the race. You do it right. That 40 seconds feels like about two minutes. And that 20 second recovery feels like about two seconds. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that awful. I mean, I say, you asked me what my go-to, I don't enjoy it. It's not like a, ooh, you know what's going to be fun today is these 40 20s. It's yes. like, okay, well, let's get ready. What is it? Cycling is pain. Okay. So let's go and be in a lot of pain. And it is like the hardest uh, 10 minute effort I feel like at the end of the day it's harder than just doing a threshold effort for me for sure it's just like sprint stop sprint stop is that would you consider that a Tabata that is the classic Tabata yeah, yeah. well classic Tabata I think the originals were 2010s yeah but 4020s are, are pretty close and a lot I hear a lot more pro cyclists actually defaulting to the 4020s yeah and there's, there's a bit of a physiological reason that at, after about 30 seconds you start changing your energy system so that last 10 seconds is is really brutal yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can attest to this yes. yes okay one of my beliefs is exactly what you said i i think you probably train the engine train the 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 energy systems a little better doing more threshold steady work mm -hmm. I really like the Tabatas. I give them to my athletes as this is teaching you just how to hurt. Yeah, definitely. Because a 15-minute threshold interval or 5-minute or 20-minute, whatever you use, um, no, you're always holding back. It, yeah. it, you just don't hurt the same way. Yeah, and you really have to go into it just like thinking of each minute as its own minute. Like if I go into a Tabata and start thinking about the eighth minute of this interval, like I'm never going to make it through the first right. two minutes. So you just, and because it's so hard, like each one has to really be almost as hard as you can go for 40 seconds. And if you think about doing that 10 times over, it's like yeah. you're just not going to make it the whole way. So just like keep... Bite-sized chunks. Yes, the, the... exactly. Get to that next telephone just, pole. Get to that do? next telephone pole. Well, that's, yeah. that's what I tell my athletes when I give it to them. My prescription is really simple. It's that. It's uh, I'll so take a I, stretch of road or something. Yeah, you know, give them a stretch of road. I'll just go forty seconds all out. Yep. And, and they go, well, what wattage? And my answer is always, 
if you're able to look at your screen and process <laughs> what wrong. Wattage you're doing, you're not going hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> Full gas, as they say. Oh, yeah, there's some really fun roads to do them on here, especially because they're so they're so busy. And if you do them, like I don't know, Racing on a Sunday cars? morning, up, oh. no, like up Left Hand Canyon or something. Ooh. And the, yeah. I mean, I'm not a pretty sufferer at all. And it's just like going <laughs> past some people, and you're just like, ah! I'm like dying all of it. And I do, I, I know some like vocal noises when I'm suffering that hard, <laughs> I, and it's I, I know. Just, what photo we're gonna run with this podcast we're gonna dig up through the the archive to come up with one of these these good photos just don't be yeah don't be afraid to be a little bit ugly there's some intervals you need to do and you really need to maintain form and think about how you're pedaling your bike and what muscles you're using and these are just like being about ugly and and (laughs) get ugly just like learning how to suffer as hard as you can so that you can go and do it in a bike race uh, I love that. Around, I'm the same as you when I'm hurting that hard. I make noise. There's okay. usually something coming out of my nose, and yeah. there's always cyclists on the hills here. So they'll hear me. They'll look back and go, "Oh my God, what is that coming this at us?" Weird creature just, that's about to like, attack me. It's a strange thing to like to do, but yeah, on a Sunday morning in Boulder, Colorado, you go do that up left hand. People give that's you the not strangest look, looks, yeah. though. Yes. But like, they just—it's really funny, and people cheer you on sometimes. And I don't know, <laughs> or it's just great. get out of the way really quickly, especially, <laughs> especially if you're wearing a. Star- Stars and Stripes jersey. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, what is she? Is she a poser? No, she had the bike. She had the bike. <laughs> Finally, we sat down with Jared Berg, lead physiologist at the University of Colorado Sports Medicine and Performance Center to discuss the physiological needs for aggressive racing. We want to make sure that the rest of the riding doesn't get in the way of their ability to be aggressive is sort of what I would, what I would focus on. So it's really the fundamentals. Previously, we talked about trying to how much work can you do at or just below that aerobic threshold, right? If that's really high, then you're going to be able to launch these brilliant 30-second, one-minute attacks and and go after. But if you're um, you're not you're not you're doing if you're getting beat up before you get to the opportunity to launch, you know, to be aggressive, then your aggressive is going to be a little bit lackluster. Right. Same thing. I think, you know, I talked a little bit about that sub threshold, which some, some folks call like a sweet spot, getting that to be a little bit higher. Cause that's the, that's the max pace you can hold the comfortable, hard pace that you can hold and still be really metabolically efficient. That wants to be high. Work on the things that do we need to strengthen what you're already good at? No, it's to make sure the rest of it doesn't get in the way. So you can't be good at what you're good at. Let's get back to Ruth for some closing thoughts. So since you're a newbie, too fast talk Mm -hmm. and by the way we don't want to keep you we a newbie we want to have you back (laughs) this has been great we always end our show with uh take homes we give each person 60 seconds to encapsulate everything they know about everything we've talked about five minute timer five minute timer for one minute minute. it's like time i made a very poor choice on amazon (laughs) (laughs) so yeah give us your take-homes, what should take people take home from this episode? What's the most important? What's the essence of being aggressive? <laughs> the essence of being aggressive. <laughs> I think just knowing yourself really well is thing number one. Like you need to know your ability, who you are as an athlete, who you are as a bike racer, knowing your competition and knowing your the course that you're going to be racing on because you have to be able to use yourself most effectively knowing what you want to achieve from being aggressive or creative so if you want to just make the race really hard and you are really strong and you could just keep doing that versus maybe you have to be really smart um, about where you make your move and how you make your move which comes back to knowing the race course and knowing your competitors and knowing how to play the game in that respect um and learning and just suffering, I guess. I think like the whole part that we just really have talked about is just like suffering through the pain of being either solo or in a breakaway. You don't have as much draft to draft on. You're going to have to just put your head down and do the best you can. Trevor, what do you? What would you add? First of all, I, I have to say you are leagues above me, but it's really <laughs> nice to have a kindred spirit on the show, yeah. a fellow sufferer, because that's my favorite part of cycling. I yeah. won't lie. My take home is is slightly different going back to this value of aggression. There is an exhilaration to it. There is something that you experience when you get away from that field, even if it's for five minutes, that I can't explain and you don't really understand until you do it. So I encourage no matter what level you are and what you're doing, 
have that experience. Um, another side of it from a training standpoint, my old mentor could not do intervals. And his reason was, I just can't go hard enough in intervals. Mm -hmm. So he set up training races and that was his training. And his explanation was, and so sorry, take a step back. I would do these training races with him and he would just sit there and attack us until he blew up or won. And he goes, that's my interval work. And when I'm attacking people, when I'm being aggressive, I can go a lot harder than I can in intervals. So that's a, another value. You can hit a higher level doing that. I'm not sure this is so much a take home as just uh, my, my personal preference and, and piece of advice is that this is the most fun you can have on a bike in bike racing. And to go out and try stuff and experiment and, and not necessarily in races, but if you want to in races, whether they're your, probably not your, your key races or primary races, but just go out there and try to be observant, figure out those cues that you can pick up on, on your, in your competition, understand the dynamics of the group how to use the landscape to your advantage, all these things. Attack when it's dumb, attack when it, you think you're being smart, attack when it's early, attack when it's late. Try a bunch of different things to not only have fun, but to learn. And I think through that, you'll progress and figure out what you can do as an aggressive rider, or maybe just give up on being aggressive altogether. <laughs> That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at fastlabs.com or call 719-800-2112 and leave us a voicemail. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, or wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Ruth Winder, Julie Young, Jared Berg, Brent Bookwalter, and Trevor Connor. I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.